European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 37, Issue 6, Focus Issue on Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lusher. Improving Prevention, Risk Scores, Imaging, and PCSK9 Inhibitors. Prevention is better than cure. This old saying is still valid today. We've made enormous progress with this approach, but we can, indeed must, improve further beyond current guidelines. Thus, a summary of recent achievements, as provided by M. John Chapman from INSERM in Paris, France, with the Year in Cardiology 2015 Prevention, is very timely. The authors note that a further improvement in the prevention of cardiovascular disease is of critical importance as coronary heart disease still represents the most common cause of death worldwide, associated with impaired quality of life, reduced life expectancy, and socio-economic cost. The year 2015 has witnessed dramatic progress in cardiovascular prevention on several fronts. Notably, this includes first event reduction in high-risk patients in general practice, followed by the introduction of comprehensive strategies to attenuate modifiable risk factors, including lifestyle and dietary habits. Secondly, hybrid imaging to detect subclinical atherosclerosis with potential improvement in risk prediction and management has improved management. Thirdly, it is now clear that plaque rupture and thin cap fibroatheroma are the major cause of ST elevation myocardial infarction. The emergence of omics technologies to identify new causal biofactors also opens new avenues. Monoclonal antibodies targeting proprotein convertase subtilizin slash kexin type 9, or PCSK9, not only further reduce low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, but preliminary findings strongly suggest that they also reduce cardiovascular events. Furthermore, the EMPA-REG outcome trial using the novel anti-hyperglycemic agent empagliflozin, a selective sodium glucose co-transporter inhibitor, significantly reduced cardiovascular mortality. Also, the recent Pathway 2 and Pathway 3 trials using spironolactone as add-on therapy in resistant hypertension and amylaride plus hydrochlorothiazide in hypertensive patients requiring a diuretic respectively showed markedly better blood pressure control. And finally, the SPRINT trial demonstrated a reduced mortality with a more strict blood pressure control of 120 millimeters of mercury in patients at high cardiovascular risk. Thus, these breakthroughs in the control of dyslipidemia, hypoglycemia, and hypertension will translate into a further reduction in atherosclerotic vascular disease and associated cardiovascular events in high-risk patients. This is followed by a current opinion, Intensive LDL Lowering Therapy for Prevention of Recurrent Cardiovascular Events, A Word of Caution by Martin L. Simons from the Erasmus Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Simons reminds us that, although the recently presented results of the Improve IT study confirm the concept that a lower LDL cholesterol level is associated with a further reduction of cardiovascular events, the benefits were modest. Indeed, after seven years, 1.8 cardiovascular deaths, strokes, or infarctions could be avoided by the combination of azetamib and simvastatin as compared to simvastatin alone, while mortality was not reduced. 
This modest benefit is similar to that obtained with high-dose versus lower-dose statins. The costs to avoid one event range from 143,000 to 252,000 euros across Europe. Thus, the modest efficacy and high cost suggest that izetimib should be reserved for those very high-risk patients who do not tolerate high-dose statins. Prescription of PCSK9 inhibitors for secondary prevention should await the results of ongoing large clinical trials and may eventually prove to be superior. While coronary atherosclerosis is the leading cause of mortality, Evaluation of coronary lesions is mostly limited to an angiographic assessment of the lumen silhouette or post-mortem investigations, while intravascular ultrasound is used much less. Lorenz Reber and colleagues from the University Hospital in Bern, Switzerland, discussed the latter approach in their clinical review Intracoronary Imaging of Coronary Atherosclerosis, Validation for Diagnosis, Prognosis and Treatment, by focusing on novel intracoronary imaging modalities. Used alone or in combination, such modalities allow deeper insights into the mechanisms of atherosclerosis, factors responsible for disease progression, and the ability of medications to reverse the process of plaque growth and destabilization. These methodologies have established a link between in vivo plaque characteristics and subsequent coronary events, thereby improving individual risk stratification. Moreover, intracoronary imaging is increasingly used during coronary interventions to support therapeutic decision-making. In the future, plaque characterization may be further improved using novel techniques and multimodality imaging approaches. Currently, the most promising approach to further reduce plaque burden are the novel PCSK9 inhibitors, recently approved by several registration agencies. Thus, the meta-analysis of Ron Vaxman and colleagues from the Washington Hospital Center in the United States, the impact of PCSK9 inhibitors on lipid levels and outcomes in patients with primary hypercholesterolemia, a network meta-analysis, is of particular interest. To that end, they searched Medline and PubMed, Cochrane Central, and clinicaltrials.gov for 17 randomized trials with 13,083 patients on PCSK9 inhibitors with an LDL of 122 plus or minus 36 milligrams per deciliter. PCSK9 inhibitors significantly reduced LDL cholesterol by 57% and 36% relative to azetamib. Further, they reduced all-cause mortality by 57%, with a trend for a reduction in cardiovascular death, odds ratio of 0.50, and cardiovascular events, odds ratio 0.67. The authors conclude that PCSK9 inhibitors improve lipid profiles and reduce all-cause mortality compared to placebo. Thus, PCSK9 inhibitor therapy, once approved, may serve as an excellent alternative for patients with statin intolerance and for those who do not respond to conventional lipid reduction therapy and may indeed have a tremendous impact on cardiovascular prevention. In a similar context, Baris Genser and colleagues from the Cardiology Division in Geneva, Switzerland, investigated in their fast-track manuscript prognostic value of PCSK9 levels in patients with acute coronary syndromes, the prognostic value of PCSK9 levels in acute coronary syndromes. 
Indeed, the longevity gene SARCERT1 regulates its secretion into the circulation, inhibits foam cell formation, and is reduced in ACS. Hence, its prognostic value is of interest. To this end, they measured plasma PCSK9 levels in 2030 patients with acute coronary syndromes undergoing coronary angiography in a Swiss prospective cohort. At one year, patients with higher PCSK9 levels at angiography were more likely to have clinical familial hypercholesterolemia, be treated with lipid-lowering therapy, present with longer time interval of chest pain, and to have higher C-reactive protein levels. At one year, hazard ratios for upper versus lower PCSK9 level tertiles were 1.13 for all-cause death and 1.03 for cardiac death. Patients with higher PCSK9 levels were less likely to reach the recommended LDL cholesterol targets. The authors therefore conclude that in patients with acute coronary syndromes, high initial PCSK9 levels were associated with familial hypercholesterolemia and failure to reach recommended LDL cholesterol targets at one year, but did not predict all-cause or cardiac death. Paul Ridker and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston further dwell on proprotein convertase subtilizin slash kexin type 9 in their paper Plasma PCSK9 Levels and the Risk of First Cardiovascular Events. They remind us that PCSK9 is a secreted protein that enhances degradation of the LDL receptor, and note that while agents that inhibit PCSK9 markedly reduce atherogenic lipoproteins and show great promise for event reduction, it is unknown whether plasma PCSK9 levels predict incident cardiovascular events. In a nested case-controlled evaluation conducted in a prospective cohort of more than 28,000 initially healthy American women, they also measured plasma levels of PCSK9 among 358 participants who developed major cardiovascular events and among 358 age, smoking, and hormone replacement therapy match participants who remained free of disease during follow-up. PCSK9 levels were not significantly related to smoking status, hypertension, obesity, or a family history of premature cardiovascular disease, but were positively associated with apolipoprotein B100 and triglycerides, while no associations were observed between PCSK9 and apolipoprotein A1, HDL cholesterol, lipoprotein A, or high-sensitive C-reactive protein. Also, PCSK9 did not predict first cardiovascular events. Therefore, in line with the previous study, the authors conclude that in primary prevention, plasma levels of PCSK9 do not predict future cardiovascular events. Genetic risk scores have been associated with coronary heart disease. In their paper, Risk prediction by genetic risk scores for coronary heart disease is independent of self-reported family history. Dov Schiffman from Quest Diagnostics in Alameda, California, USA, asked whether expanding an established 27 variant to a 50 variant genetic risk score would improve risk prediction independent of a self-reported family history in 23,595 participants of the Malmo Diet and Cancer Study. Both the genetic risk score, 27 and 50, were associated with incident coronary disease. Adding 23 SNPs to genetic risk score, 27, improved risk prediction. 
Further adjustment for self-reported family history did not change these risk estimates. The addition of GRS 50 to establish risk factors, including self-reported family history, improved discrimination and reclassification. In young participants, those with high genetic risk score 50 had a 2.4-fold greater risk than those with low score. The authors therefore conclude that the addition of 23 SNPs to an existing genetic risk score 27 improved risk prediction and was independent of self-reported family history. Coronary risk assessment by genetic risk scores could be particularly useful in young individuals. The manuscript is accompanied by an expert editorial by Heribert Schumkert from the German Heart Center in Munich, Germany. The issue concludes with a position paper by Paulus Kirchhoff and colleagues of the European Society of Cardiology Improving Clinical Trials for Cardiovascular Diseases based on discussions of a cardiovascular roundtable focusing on novel approaches to conduct clinical trials. The authors note that although cardiovascular disease remains the most common cause of mortality and morbidity, the pharmaceutical industry's willingness to invest in this field has declined due to hurdles bringing new drugs to the market, escalating regulatory requirements, bureaucracy, and limited patient access after approval. Thus, clinical cardiovascular research needs to adapt to address these changing requirements. The authors propose strategies to improve the development of effective new cardiovascular therapies, such as 1. The use of biomarkers to describe patients who will benefit from new therapies more precisely, achieving better human target validation. 2. Mechanism-based approaches to drug development for defined populations. 3. The use of information technology to simplify data collection and follow-up in clinical trials. 4. Extended patent protection or limited rapid approval of new agents to motivate investment in early phase development. And 5. Collecting data needed for health technology assessment continuously throughout the drug development process, before and after approval, to minimize delays in patient access. Collaboration across industry, academia, regulators and payers so the authors propose, will be necessary to enact change and unlock the existing potential for cardiovascular clinical drug development. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.